The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. Good day, mate. That's good, Scott. Give me one more. Oh, I lift a shrimp on the barbie for you, mate. Uh, one more now. Oh, bonza. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are the Trilogy Podcast, the only podcast in the universe, in the entire hemisphere, in both hemispheres, devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboot, no straight to cable. We're bringing you facts, debate, trivia, and more to hell with the movie if they made four. Good on you, mate. All right, and by Scott's wonderful dialect, I think you might have an idea of exactly what trilogy we're doing this time around. Scotty? It's the Crocodile Dundee Trilogy. In English, please. The Crocodile Dundee Trilogy. Just in your regular voice. Crocodile Dundee I'm Trilogy. excited about it. Scott, I'm so excited that we're doing Crocodile Dundee first because it is Australia Month. Every March, we go right out and we do a trilogy devoted to Australia. Well, that is true, but uh, technically... It, uh, you know, because in the, in the past, we did Mad Max a year ago. Two years ago, we did Thor. Thor, so. right. And uh, actually, uh, it is April now. Scott, I'm looking up at the sun the way Paul Hogan did in the movie, and it's telling me that we're really in March. Well, that's really more for time. Mm. Um, but look, you can see I went out and I purchased a dingo just for this episode. What that? Yeah, I have. It's running around our, my apartment. It's a dingo. Then that—that's a dog. That's just a, a a dog. Okay, well, it's it's close enough. How many babies has that thing eaten? Well, you know, I fed it a couple of babies because that's what dingoes do, right? I mean, oh, you're supposed no. to. Now it's got a taste for blood. Oh God! Oh, I've, boy. I've made a big mistake here. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing Crocodile Dundee, and you know. This is a really exciting episode for us. We get to, again, delve into our youths. Yes. Another great 80s trilogy. So yeah, I am really excited to be doing Crocodile Dundee. I remembered how much I enjoyed this movie as a 10-year-old boy. Right. You know, uh, the accent, the locales, the exotic nature of Paul Hogan. This was my entire point of reference for anything Australian for so long. And then in rewatching it, now as a 44-year-old, I realized what an idiot I was. Yeah. Well, I think it was just such a novelty at the time that a lot of people didn't really know anything about Australia. I don't think I buy that. I don't understand. I don't. I can't imagine that no one had ever heard of the continent of Australia before 1986. We did Mad Max, for God's sake. There was, you and know. And honestly, I blame Mad Max for these movies. If they weren't as successful, we wouldn't be here. Well, Mad Max presented a very dark version of Australia, and this changes everything. Right. You know, a much more silly, fun, good times. You know, a more accurate representation of Australia. I could see maybe Mel Gibson murdering Paul Hogan, though, and enjoying it. Sure. So, you know, they mention him, I believe, in the third movie, they right? They do. So. They do. So, yeah, it's exciting that we're back. We spent a lot of time on The Godfather. Important, of course, right. but it's great to kind of lighten, lighten things up a little bit here. We go from Italy to Australia. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are global. I am Vin. And I'm Scott. And I think now we should basically break down what kind of a trilogy this is going to be. As always, Trilogy Bot is going to tell us exactly what kind of a trilogy this is. Crocodile Dundee belongs in the army of fun category, mates. 
Trilogies in this category feature a comedic character, whose continuing adventures provide the backbone of the series. Now get stuffed, wombats. Always with the insults. I don't think he had to necessarily use the Australian slang, though. I think that was taking it a bit far. Honestly, I mean, it kind of softened the blow because I didn't really know what the hell he was talking I'm about. St- so. Yeah, I don't really. I'm... But what I did understand is that this is an army of fun trilogy. Yes. Not army of one. An army of fun where the lead character is a heroic character, but is more geared towards comedy and presenting a lifestyle or, you know, a, a sillier version of his a, experiences. A lightness to it, if you yeah. will. Um, all right. So I think it's now time that you get to the plots. Yes. They are very elaborate, as everyone remembers from these films. Yeah, it'll take a, a long, long time, I'm sure. Yeah, this is going to be even, you know, we had to split The Godfather into two parts. This might be a three-parter. It could be, so we better get started. All right, so what I usually do here <laughs> is uh, I do a little thing here called the Scott's Plot. It's Scott's Plot. You're going to love the plot because his name is Scott, and he's from Australia, except he's not Scott's Plot. I can't wait to hear what music you find for that tune. Um, so yes, this is Scott's Plots. What I do here is I give you a bare bones description of what happens in the movie, just to catch you up in case it's been a while since you've seen the movies. And if you've never seen the movies and don't care to, and I don't blame you, um, I will give you just the gist of what happens in the movies. So we're going to start it all off with the original. Crocodile Dundee. 1986. A New York reporter travels to Australia to write an article about an Australian tour guide. The reporter spends a week in the outback with the tour guide. Stop right there. Right off the bat, it seems that Linda Kozlowski has traveled to Australia just to do a series of stories. She's, she says to the, the editor-in-chief, she's like, I've got one more. It's this guy in the outback. Like, what, you just went to Australia to... Do a bunch of stories about Australia? Yeah. And, you know, for for Newsday? Right. For the Long Island newspaper Newsday? I know you loved my article about boomerangs, and now I'm going to uh, research a guy. And and Newsday seems to have an unlimited budget throughout this entire film. She's sleeping in the most luxurious hotels. She takes a helicopter to see him, flies him back to New York, puts him up in a luxurious hotel. Right. What? For it's a human interest story. This isn't investigative journalism. It's a human interest story. Right. And how many times have you seen a movie or a TV show where they're like, this is an important story. The mayor murdered someone. They're like, ah, it's just not, you know, we gotta follow this other story. And- yeah. And they just, this is the stupid, most frivolous it's fucking fluff. thing you can, yeah. It's total fluff. It's a fluff piece. Meanwhile, by the second movie, the poor guy is like deeply investigating uh, the Colombian drug world and they put him in a shack for God's sake. He, yeah. It's the worst piece of shit hotel imaginable. Right. And this is Newsday. This is a Long Island paper. What does this have to do with anything? Nothing. 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 What was the interest in Australia in 1986? It, it should have been that she was going to do some other article and then he became the story because uh, exactly. she met him. And was like, this guy's amazing. I mean, she's talking to her her fiance on the phone. He's like, when are you coming home? Oh, I've got one more story. Yeah. You know, this one takes place in a different part of Australia. Right. Oh, another part of the continent? The reporter spends a week in the outback with the tour guide, where he saves her from danger multiple times, and the reporter begins to fall for him, deciding to bring the tour guide back to New York with her. Now, he's not really a tour guide, though, Scott. He's pretty obviously a crocodile poacher. He's doing illegal things up there. Right. And it's confusing because initially when she meets him, somebody suggests in the bar that he's a poacher. Paul Hogan punches him right out with one punch. Yeah. In the middle of a dance. Right. 
Later on, when he's showing the boat in which he was attacked by the crocodile, she's like, oh, you were you were fishing with bullets? And he's like, oh, and <laughs> hey, a maroon is a big fish or whatever. Yeah, j- j- like. Jokes about it. So yeah. so is he is he a poacher? Is he not a poacher? The movie hasn't really decided whether. Right. Because we know it's kind of a bad thing. But, hey, crocodiles are are pretty scary. Yeah. So I mean, what's the John kill, Dory if, here, you know? <laughs> if you've got to kill one, then I guess it's okay. In New York, the tour guide is confused by American customs and behaviors, encountering gang members, prostitutes, high society types, and transgender women with mildly amusing results. You basically have a fish out of water scene. She, yeah. It's a double fish out of water, really, because she's a fish out of water in Australia. He's a fish out of water in New York. Right. So you're getting kind of both sides of the spectrum. Best you know. of both worlds, if you will. Uh, I won't, because I don't know that it's the best of either world, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Worst of both worlds. <laughs> it, it depicts a New York that I don't think ever existed. Yeah, no. I mean, I live in New York now, but I visited New York in the 80s. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. I, I will say, though, there is one point where like he's against a building and trying to like time getting through the crowd. I'm like, I've definitely experienced that in New York City. Really, like, I don't want to run into anybody, but I just want to walk the same way you guys are walking. You're right. You're right about that. But let me tell you, I've never experienced in New York where you're just stumbling across prostitutes constantly. They're everywhere. There's a, there's a whore everywhere. Whores aplenty. Crime everywhere. Yeah. No. And no one's certainly going to go after the guy that's got a crocodile tooth hat that he's wearing and he's a, a tough looking guy. Yeah. You mug the old lady. Right. Not the toughest looking guy on the block. I guess if you think he's a tourist, he doesn't know any better. He would be, you know, it's it's like if you're in Paris and like a a, a pocket thief in Paris. Is that the right a, a word? Pocket, pocket thief? A pickpocket? Is pick that pocket? That's what, what I was going for. Pocket thief. Um, yes. I'm taking your pocket. <laughs> now you Man. can't hold things in your pants anymore. <laughs> I just tried to put my wallet into a pocket that wasn't there. <laughs> but if like a pickpocket in Paris were to see a guy with a big cowboy hat, he might go, "Oh, this dumbass doesn't know anything. He's probably he'll be easy pickings." You know what I mean? Perhaps. But if that cowboy had big muscled arms. And was sure, you know, yeah. Maybe that wouldn't be the guy you go after. And a bowler tie, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that'll be the thing. Yeah, that's intimidating. <laughs> At a fancy dinner thrown by her father, the reporter is proposed to by her boyfriend. Seeing that there is no chance of romance with the reporter, the tour guide decides to leave New York and travel across America. A couple of things here. We don't learn until later in the film that she's a society lady at all. She's just a reporter. Only deeper into the film do we realize that her her father owns Newsday. Right. Okay, so she's a rich girl as well. She's not just a reporter. So you have that angle. Yeah. And then you really don't have any concept of the relationship between her and her fiance. It's really yeah. kind of half-assed. Like, she doesn't act like she likes him really at any point during the movie. Yeah. No. I mean, she's almost snickering in the back of the cab in that scene. She's like, his name is Richard, and he's sweet, and I love him. Yeah. Dundee looks at her like, okay. Do you really? Yeah. You're, he's uh, obviously a dick. Are you sure? <laughs> like, he doesn't seem to be sweet. Seems to be a total prick. <laughs> Dundee's punching people out, but never gets into a fight. He's always kind of doing something else. Yeah. And just casually punches someone out. Right. Like, that never happens in New York. Like, oh my, he punched that person. Like, people get punched in New York all the time. Rick Moranis got punched in the street for <laughs> nothing in New York. <laughs> no, he was just drunk. Well, people act differently when you've punched them versus th- when they're drunk. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. Yeah. Isn't he bleeding? Isn't there, what's, isn't there a problem here? What's that enormous bruise on his face? <laughs> like, uh, it's from drinking, mate. 
So it ultimately, once they get to New York, it turns into a love story. The movie is basically about her falling for the guy. Yeah, I mean, but you're right about, like, they they obs- they set up at the beginning that this guy is her boyfriend in some respects. So you're kind of like, oh, maybe that's why he's letting her go off and do this frivolous story because, you know, he's like, okay, whatever. You know, my, you're my girlfriend. I'll let you do whatever you want. But then later you find out not only is she dating the editor, but the owner of the paper is her father. And you're like, oh, that's why you were given all this money and able to do exactly. this stupid story. Like, But the fact that the, even the movie is like, yeah, we know this is a dumb plot. So we have to make a bunch of excuses for why this person was allowed to go and do this. Like every part of her life is connected to the newspaper, her fiance, her father, everything. Yeah. yeah. Like you, like you always hear about all the, the rich hoity-toity folks of Long Island connected to the Newsday fucking newspaper. Yeah, that <laughs> provincial rag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is It is a provincial rag. <laughs> Go to Long Island, folks, and you'll recognize that. <laughs> the reporter rushes to stop the tour guide, tells him she's not marrying her boyfriend, that she is in love with him. And that's the whole first one. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about that whole love reveal on the subway platform, which is yeah. pretty loony. But right. And what we'll get more into, obviously, there's a lot of bits in uh, this movie of just him interacting with people, sure. which I have copious notes on. But there's very little just straight plot. The most are in this second. The film, second one. Which strangely gets complicated for some reason. Let's not even waste any more time. Let's right. rock right into it. Moving on with Crocodile Dundee 2. 1988. One year later, the reporter and the tour guide are living together in New York. Meanwhile... The reporter's photographer ex-husband is in Colombia, where he takes photos of a cartel hit, mails it to the reporter's apartment, and is murdered. You gotta love how he's taking photos of a man being murdered. He's loudly talking to himself. He's got a, a reflective camera that anyone can just see. Why don't you hide yourself a little bit yeah. better? You're, you're witnessing a murder. What was his hotel a block away from the murder? Like <laughs> it was. He was just in the hotel immediately. They basically just followed him back. Yeah. He went over the hill, got into his jeep, drove away, and they're like, "Hey, there's a guy driving away in the jeep. We <laughs> yep. we know where to go. Let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> Kill him off screen. It's not even clear yeah. that he's someone's been shot. At first, I thought it was just the bellhop. I didn't yeah. even realize it was him. Yeah, I until wasn't they sure either. It later. That's why I was like, oh, did they just kill that guy? Oh, God. Did they just kill the guy from Batteries Not Included? From d- the Dream Team? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> That's the other one I couldn't remember <laughs> what he was from. <laughs> You've just named his two movie credits. Yeah. Dennis Boutsikaris. He's also in, uh, he actually is also now on Better Call Saul. The Colombian cartel leader and his goons head to New York to retrieve the photos, now in the possession of the tour guide. The cartel leader takes the reporter hostage, and with the help of some punk gang members, the tour guide is able to infiltrate the cartel's New York hideout and rescue the reporter. And there's just a huge meandering block of time where she's been kidnapped. Mick is trying to come up with a way of... Solving the situation. How about right. just give the pictures to them? Yeah. Just give the pictures. What do you fucking care? Here's the other thing. You're a huge international Colombian cartel, right? Like, you're kind of a big deal, you would think. Mm-hmm. You're really going to chase down this photo of the one murder you committed? What about the thousands of other murders that you've committed? <laughs> just because there wasn't a photographer there, they're just not important? <laughs> like, really? You're going to? Tra- Why would you travel all the way to New York to basically admit, yep, that's me in the picture, and I'm here. And there's no real sense of danger at all. She's just yeah. talking shit to the guy. She's like, you guys are just terrible drug dealers. And he's yeah. just doing his bullshitty shit with the, the, all the people of New York that know him now. After right. a year, everyone in New York knows him. The kids in the playground, all, every worker that he comes across, he's introduced himself to. He's an to. unemployed alcoholic who walks around New York all day. <laughs> just like, say, uh, talking to people. Yeah. 
It's not charming. Yeah. It's not charming. <laughs> He's literally like, I'm unemployed and I'm drinking all fucking day. Maybe, maybe I a- should get a job. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, yeah, maybe. Like, <laughs> I know I'm rich and my dad owns the paper, but Jesus. Like, but you're really annoying now. Aren't you bored? <laughs> After a failed assassination attempt on the reporter, the tour guide takes her back to Australia to keep her safe. The cartel leader and his goons go to Australia, where a friend of the tour guide leads them through the outback. So we have a little switcheroo here, where the last film began in Australia, ended up in New York. This one begins in New York, winds up in Australia. So kind of a classic sequel flip. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very much so. But unlike the previous movie that really had no plot, they were like, we're actually going to change the genre here from a romance to like an action movie. An action movie, movie. yeah. Nick Nick is is James Bond all of a sudden. He's not really equipped for this kind of a movie. Yeah. All of a sudden you got him acting like Rambo, dispatching enemy after enemy in different creative ways. What? There's like literally a scene of him shirtless sharpening a knife yeah. in this one. And you're like, and I literally, the first thought is like, he's Rambo. Because it's an action movie, we expect, you know, the stakes are raised. They've kidnapped the girl. There's real problems here. Her life is in danger from Colombian drug dealers. Right. He never seems to care. No. He's always, he's just kind of fucking around. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. To a point where they're like, you're just fucking around. He's like, yeah, it is a game out here. It's yeah. not a game. The cartel leader and his goons go to Australia where a friend of the tour guide leads them through the outback where the tour guide can outsmart them with the help of his aboriginal friends and pick them off one by one. The tour guide is able to take the cartel leader hostage and confusingly switches clothes with the cartel leader, leading to the cartel leader being shot by one of his goons and the tour guide being shot by his friend. I dare you to explain to me that ending exactly what happened. I dare you. Wally shoots Mick. Thinking it's the bad guy. Right. And then uh, the other, the bad guy's other goon shoots the bad guy. Okay. And then she then shoots, shoots the, go- the goon. The goon. And, yeah. he, and that's, that's the guy that falls off the cliff. So convoluted, and there's no way Mick would know that's the way things would have worked out. Uh, he there's just have. no way. The reporter and the friend briefly think the tour guide is dead until the tour guide reveals himself, kisses the reporter, and they decide to stay in Australia. All of these movies end like very abruptly where there's like a freeze frame, like, well, there's one line, like, I'm staying here. And then but, movie freezes. End. Yeah. There's no real conclusion to any of the films. Right. They just, you know, they end on an emotion rather than a plot point or right. a resolution of the plot. It's just like, and now I feel this way. Well, because the truth is, you don't give a shit what happens to them after that. So you're just like, they're in love. Great. Movie's over. Oh, great. Fantastic. So now she's going to stay in Australia. All right. Cool. Yeah, with his fucking gold mine and his literal gold mine and his like massive piece of land. It's like the movie is afraid to make Linda Kozlowski have to like work or suffer in any real way. Right. And this is the woman who in the first movie is very like, I can take care of myself and I don't need you to watch out for me. And all she learns in the movies is, no, I do need a man to watch after me. Listen. Which is horrible. Listen, casual chauvinism is a big time theme in, in all three of these movies. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's it's a big time theme in Australia. And when the movie came out, there were people in Australia that were like, yeah, you're making us look bad. (laughs) Whereas other people were like, oh, it's part of our, the flavor of Australia. Right. And then suddenly we get to this third movie and, and, you know, 13 years later, things have changed. Right. In Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. 2001. 13 years later, 
the tour guide and the reporter are living unmarried in Australia with their young son. The reporter is given the opportunity to become head of a newspaper, and they all move to Los Angeles. Slapdash plot bullshit. It was like less than 10 minutes, and they were in Los Angeles. So they're yeah. like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I don't need more than that. But Boy, I, I thought I'd get some more. delightful Australian local color, but no. Yeah. Stop disparaging these tourists. They're your bread and butter, for God's sake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> these movies could really just be long commercials for Australia. Australian tourism. Yeah. At the end, they should just turn to the camera and go, visit Australia, freeze frame. Well, he kind of does. <laughs> hey, he looks directly at the camera at the end of the third film, and he's yeah. like, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm Paul fucking Hogan or whatever. Yeah, whatever I'll he always does. be here. I'll always be here. Well, you know what? I'm staying here in New York. I'm not going there. <laughs> Australia won't let me die. <laughs> What? <laughs> they keep propping up my damn corpse. <laughs> I've been dead for 20 years. I'm not even alive. Once again, the tour guide is confused by American customs and behaviors, Ugh. encountering Hollywood phonies, gang members, and a skunk. Meanwhile, the reporter believes there's something fishy going on with the film studio she's investigating and the tour guide decides to help by getting cast as an extra in a movie they're filming. Boy, this couldn't be more half-assed. The plot can reasonably be summed up as something's up with this movie studio. Yeah. I, I, that's it. That's it. Hmm, something's going on there. Well, we'll get back to that in about 40 minutes. Yeah, and once we get back to it, it's, it's the obvious thing. It's yeah. just what we thought it probably was. Right. It's like, why would you have to pull this whole scam with, the, like, I understand the art is very expensive. You run a movie studio. <laughs> They're usually pretty fucking lucrative. <laughs> like, are you crazy? I can make so much more money on counterfeit art. In involving the Bosnian War, the Yugoslav War. Yeah. What? The tour guide discovers that the film studio is smuggling rare pieces of art, passing them off as set dressings. When the tour guide attempts to obtain evidence of this, the reporter is taken hostage by the studio head and his goons. With the help of lions, the tour guide is able... <laughs> it's laughable. It's laughable, especially to the point where... You're involving animals that aren't even from Australia. There are no monkeys in Australia. There are no lions in Australia. Right. There's no reason for Mick to have any relationship with these particular animals. No. I, this this screenplay feels like this is the first draft, the first thought, the first conversation in a restaurant. Hey, uh, it's an art theft. It's an art heist the, where they use uh, you know fake art, but it's the real art. Yeah. And no one rewrote anything. They were like, fuck it, that's the movie. Yeah. They're like, look, I've already written 40 pages of bits of <laughs> Crocodile Dundee just misunderstanding things. Yeah, I so... mean, it's, the idea is it's basically just a movie that with a rudimentary plot where they can hang all these little slice of life L.A. Right. bits. Yeah, you and know, kind of just them. make fun of Hollywood. And yeah, yeah, yeah. With the help of lions, the tour guide is able to rescue the reporter, and the studio head and his goons are arrested. The tour guide and the reporter return home to Australia, where they are finally married. I mean, they just slapped that on at the end. You got through the entire plot without mentioning their son. Yeah. Because he's not interesting. Yeah. Unless you want to get into the plot of his fucking thirsty teacher who is willing to fuck I any mean, Australian who walks in the door. Yeah. Oh, is he from Australia too? Yeah. He's from Australia too. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you button your pants up, you whore? Oh, uh, does he have a penis? Great. Seriously. I gotta start <laughs> hanging out at schools more, I guess. <laughs> Wearing fucking snakeskin. <laughs> hanging around at schools more? Wearing snakeskin? Scott. Yeah, that does sound a little weird out of context. I'm gonna keep it in. <laughs> Without Please do, because I'm talking about banging hot female teachers. Right. Okay, but so. that's all the movies. That's it. And, and that kind of brings me to... Uh, Vinformation. You know, it sounds a little better when you do it with the accent, so... Oi. All right. Vinformation. 
mascot Crocodile Dundee has quotes around the word crocodile. And the reason is so that Americans wouldn't think the movie was about a crocodile. Which know? is why Kangaroo Jack does not have quotes around <laughs> kangaroo. They dropped it's it. about a kangaroo. They- <laughs> That's why the bear is just called the bear, because it's about a bear. <laughs> Look for the bear necessities, the simple bear necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. Scott, this movie was enormous when it came out. It was the second biggest movie of 1986 after, can you guess, Top Gun. Oh. All right. Uh, look at these numbers. These are, so a lean year for movies. <laughs> I, I, I never liked the movies of 86. But listen, this is these are huge numbers for the 80s. It was made for $8.8 8 and did $328 million worldwide, $174 million in this country. So it was a crazy hit. It was filmed in both Queensland, Australia, and the New York City. And think of it as maybe a commercial, that it was made as an Australian film that would appeal to an American audience and give us a little slice of life of what it was like in Australia. Right. And kind of created this Aussie fever that, that you know, took the country by storm at the time. Yeah. Again, I, I suppose people had no idea what the hell was going on in Australia at this point. I don't think so. And once they saw this movie, they were like, we love it. I mean, but I think Australians hate it now because they're like, we're not all Crocodile Dundee I've guys. To- I've definitely questioned Australians about Paul Hogan in the past and then none of them like him. He's corny. Like, yeah. he's not cool. It's not a real representation of who we are. Yeah, you know what it's like, though? It's be like being from New Jersey, as we both are, yeah. and when The Sopranos was on. Okay. Everyone asking you, like, hey, so when's the next season of Sopranos coming on? I'm like, I don't work for HBO, bitch. Uh, how the fuck am I supposed to know? Scott, I'm from the Jersey Shore. Imagine how I felt during the time of the Jersey Shore, and people are like, oh, it's the Jersey Shore. And I'm like, no uh, one I know ever behaved that way or yeah. acted that way. I don't yeah. know. That's alien to and me. And none of those people are actually from New Jersey. Yeah, so they're just vacationing because we have beaches. Do you have beaches in your state? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Very good example. So that's how the Australians that I spoke to when I would run across them from time to time and obnoxiously ask them about Paul Hogan yeah. would react. Right. And it, and it got great reviews, man. I mean, yeah. people loved this movie. They loved that Paul Hogan likability. Very affable. It wasn't supposed to change the world. It wasn't. It was a lightweight, nothing kind of a comedy. Right. I mean, you walk into an Outback Steakhouse, and it's still like, this is cartoonish, a cartoonish version of. I don't think there is. I don't think there is an Outback Steakhouse unless there's a Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I, I, yeah, totally. You know, Outback Steakhouse, Steakhouse. no rules, just right. So this movie was enormous at the time. Great reviews. For God's sake, it was like the number one movie in Australia till it was beaten out by Titanic. Wow. The producer and the director just. Australian guys that worked with Paul Hogan on his show in Australia. They've done nothing you've heard of. Yeah. They're not famous. Again, part of his Australia crew. Very much an Australian film, despite the fact that it was shot in New York. And I would suggest that Crocodile Dundee is the spiritual father of Crocodile Hunter. Sure. And kind of Crocodile Hunter picked up where he left off. With He, had, he has his own... Or had his own um, little slang, crocky. And- Crikey. Right. Yeah. I said, cracky. You said it better. <laughs> thank you. But he picked up the idea of just the allure of Australia and the animal, yeah. the crazy fucking animals of Australia. Right. So as cheesy as this fucking movie was, and as much as, you know, I, looking at it so many years later, I think it's corny. It's certainly impacted the cultural landscape at the time. There's just no question about it. And we're still feeling the reverberations today. How many movies can say that? It's true. I think it it, it sparked the interest of the American audience enough that we started to learn more. 
And I feel like now your average American has a better understanding of Australia. Yeah. But it's mostly, it's it's a dangerous fucking place to live because there <laughs> yeah. are a million spiders, snakes, and crocodiles that can fucking kill you. Okay, there's some local color, but if you get outside of the cities into the other 95% of Australia, you're in danger. Right. Don't go there. She's a beautiful girl, all right? Really nice. But I tell you what, whatever you do, don't ever try and wrangle a spider. I'd hate to get this amount of venom stuck into my veins. I reckon it'd be one heck of a rough journey. Could even kill me. Crocodile Dundee 2, on the other hand, um, did not receive the kind of reviews the first one did. We tired of this formula pretty quickly. Yeah. But it was still a big hit. Made for $14 million, did $239 million worldwide. Wow. It was the sixth biggest movie in the United States that year. And it was Paramount's second biggest movie after coming to America. So it was still wow. a juggernaut at that period of time. Just not much to say about it. There's not much, there are not many details. I already mentioned that there's a bit of a Rambo influence. On a more personal note, though, my late stepfather, Kevin, actually worked on this movie. Really? You know, I've got Teamsters in my, in my family. And, um, you know, there was some overhire for that movie. And when they shot it in New York, he was a driver for them. He helped out. Oh, wow. And he met some of the guys. So it was kind of cool. He was actually on, on set for this movie. Oh. Yeah. My mom reminded me of that. I was like, oh, that is cool. I'd forgotten about that entirely. Yeah. So, yeah, Crocodile Dundee 2, we already see uh, this idea getting a little bit tired, a little bit played out. And then fucking years later with Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, they don't even bother with a, a three. Pretend that this isn't the third movie. It's a new story now. Yeah. It basically broke even in this country. Awful reviews. People hated it. The director, I mentioned this when we did Free Willy, is Simon Windsor, same director that did Free Willy. Remember I said he's an expert in movies right. that have animals in them? Right. This, Free Willy, Operation Dumbo Drop. So you have an actual director that the world has heard of here. Yeah. Not, not that it necessarily helped, but... Right. Um, it seemed like there was a lot more Hollywood animals being used in the third one, too. Like the chimp and yeah. the, the lions. And the skunk. And the skunk, yeah. I don't know that's a Hollywood animal. Uh, certainly not an Australian animal. Again, none of the animals have anything to do with Australia. We're, we're led to believe that Paul Hogan can control them anyway. He's like the Dr. Doolittle of, yeah. of his time. Right. If I could talk to the animals... Just imagine it, chatting with a chimp and chimpanzee. Imagine talking to a tiger, chatting with a cheetah. What a neat achievement it would be. And that's basically it. A couple of other minor things. There was talk of there being a, a fourth movie. They did a Super Bowl commercial in 2018 involving um, yeah. Chris Hemsworth. And had a lot of Australian celebrities that were in it. And it got great reception. And there was actually talk. It might happen again. I think that strangely could work, a reboot of this, where you played it f straight up as a comedy. Uh -huh. And played it like it's supposed to be ridiculous and over the top and dumb. And you put Chris Hemsworth in it. I mean, he's, yeah. a, he's a charming Aussie, as we covered him in Thor a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, no question. Wait, hold up. This isn't a movie. No. It's a tourism ad for Australia. Yes. Oh, and meanwhile, this this fourth Paul Hogan movie that yeah. terrified me into thinking that this wasn't a trilogy. Why don't you? At the very excellent Mr. Dundee. Right. It came out last year, uh, and it is a movie where Paul Hogan plays himself, sort of spoofing himself. Straight that, to Amazon, right? Yeah. And uh, I guess the plot is that he is supposed to be knighted. Chevy Chase and John Cleese. Yeah. I, they shot a quick shot of Jim Jeffries, the Australian comedian yeah. as well, in there. 
Um, yeah, it looks like shit, but I'm so curious. <laughs> it's just basically Paul Hogan, you know, capitalizing on the famous name, the famous character right. he played. So it should not be considered a part of this trilogy or story in any respect. Yeah. We ask where the man from down under has been hiding. No one's fallen from grace as hard as Paul Hogan. You know, I was pretty upset because I thought Paul Hogan was already dead. Oh. And really, Scott, there are only two characters that are in all three of these movies, and these are the obvious characters. That's going to be Paul Hogan and Linda Kozlowski. Paul Hogan started off as a pitch man in Australia, all right, doing a lot of different commercials. He actually had a Saturday Night Live-esque show called The Paul Hogan Show that ran from 73 to 84, and that's how he made his name. Yeah. Which was actually popular both in the United Kingdom and in South Africa, but never really made it here. Then he became a commercial guy. He did all those Australian tourism ads. So he was saying, uh, let's throw a shrimp on the barbie, two years before this movie. So he was already kind of whetting our appetite for Australia a couple of years before. He was the Foster's representative for um, in the United Kingdom, did a lot of ads for those guys. Yeah. So he's a commercial guy. Yeah. Other than that, it's not like he had a deep career. I mean, he did like three other movies. He did Almost an Angel, A Bomb, right? Uh, Lightning Jack. That yeah. feels like a movie you might have seen with Cuba Gooding Jr., no? I don't think so. No? I think I've seen Almost an Angel. Okay. Many, many years ago. And he did Flipper. Oh, yes. And that and, and that's really it. Which is funny because they have they have a sort of a version of Flipper in Australia, Skippy. The, uh, is that the, right? Skippy the kangaroo. Really? He even makes a reference to it in the first movie when he uses the dead body of yeah. the kangaroo yeah. and shoots or whatever. He he says, like, attaboy, Skippy. Really? And I believe Skippy was the like oh. kangaroo. It ha this the theme song is extremely similar to Flipper. No shit. It's like Skippy. Skippy the kangaroo. All right, like, so. One of the biggest stories of Crocodile Dundee is that Paul Hogan married his co-star, Linda Kozlowski, after having been married to the same woman for like 30 years. Yeah. With five kids, Yeesh. he divorced her for Linda Kozlowski. And they stayed together for like 20 years. They only got divorced in like 2014. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Linda, boy, she just did nothing. Nothing. Her career is nothing. Yeah. She's Juilliard trained, but has done these movies. Wow. And uh, married Paul Hogan. She also did the movie Village of the Damned. Yeah. All right. But that's basically it. She left acting, she says, because she was dissatisfied with straight to video roles. Do they not pay? Yeah. You know, like, I, mean, I mean, she makes me laugh. Like she thinks she's like, I kept getting offered movies where I played the girlfriend or the wife. Yeah, because you, because okay. you were very successful doing it in this global, you know, monster of a film. What are right. you talking about? Well, meanwhile, like you know, you come home to a husband who is only being offered roles to be the Australian guy. Tough it out. I mean, you're being offered roles. You're being offered roles. You're a working actor, at least. Yeah. You know, I get pissed I off. I would when... love to do a straight to yeah. video, which doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... I get pissed off when any working actor is like, I hate the roles I'm being offered. I'd like to be offered a role, asshole. <laughs> Period. Yeah. And offered a role. Oh, I don't have to audition. I'm offered a role. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Linda hasn't done shit, except get a massive facelift before the third film, making her look like a completely different person. But we'll get to that. She kept the body type, though. She did. Both her, of them, really. You know, that Australian son is just going to rip your face apart. But like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think he, he kept his body tight enough, I think, for a stop guy talk, his age. Please stop talking about how tight Paul Hogan's body damn, is. damn, it was tight. <laughs> the, other, the other actors that were in all three were um, the, the big, goofy guy that plays Donk. Right. All right, that's Steve Rackman. He's like an Australian wrestler. Yeah. And the guy that <laughs> plays Nugget. Yeah. 
He's an Australian guy. He reminds no me. No credits. He reminds me of, there's the guy in basketball who plays Squeaks, who's like the tiny little friend of theirs. And like, he just looks like Australian Squeaks. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that actor's name is because he's only been in like two movies with the guys from South Park. Okay. But yeah. My name is not Squeak, all right? It's Kenny. All right, all right, all right, you little bitch. All right, Scott, let's break down the little details, intricacies, and funny foibles of Crocodile Dundee. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. That's a knife. Watching the first five minutes of this, I wrote, who is this woman? <laughs> Why do I care? Like, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, oh, I'm off doing this. I'm like, I don't know you. Couldn't we have seen you interact with anybody else previously before this and the reality is linda kozlowski is terrible I, she's I, not great there's no connection with her her co-star that she's just reading lines aloud into the air yeah like she has there's no chemistry between the two of them right and they wind up getting married for god's sake even on the phone when when she says she's like oh i could take care of myself i'm a new yorker and i'm like yeah. You don't sound like a New Yorker. I don't know where you're from, but it's not fucking New York. Like, and why do they insist upon dressing her up in headpiece after headpiece? Yeah. Every other scene, she's wearing a shawl. Even in the high society party, she's got like a a, a hair veil that's covering like the, yeah, like that I, like Italian like 16th century head sack in the back that holds yeah, her hair. It's like very elaborate hair. Why are you covering her hair? Let it fly in the breeze and get caught in the trees. Give a home to the fleas in my hair. Walter's taking on this sort of terrified tone throughout the entire beginning part where he's he's hiding something. Very nervous. What are you nervous about? That she'll find that he's a poacher? That he's going to rape her out there in the bush somewhere? Because it seems like... It seems like throughout all of these movies, the the main characteristic of being Australian is deception. Like, all they're doing is lying about who they are the entire time. So I thought, I was like, oh shit, it's been a while since I watched this. Is he not good at fighting crocodiles? Like, I, I thought it was going to be like, oh no, he's a phony. Is he just an alcoholic? I pretend that I fought a crocodile and I didn't actually do it. And it's, an all, it's a persona to sell, you know, to get tourists and stuff. They're on their way out to the outback. She's like, when's your birthday? Day. And he's like, I don't know. And, and and Walter's like, time doesn't mean much out here. Huh? It means something. You know when there's daylight and when there's night and then a day has passed, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? I know, time the fact doesn't that he, mean much. He has to ask him what day it is. I'm like, just count how many nights have there been and then you'll know. This guy can look at the sun and yeah. tell you what time it is, but he has no idea how many days have passed. Doesn't know. Doesn't care. So Except it, that he asked what day it was, so it seems like he cares a little yeah, bit. It's kind of important because, you know, you've, you're running a business, right? <laughs> Lucky bastard. But he gives just sort of a casually, like, imperialistic answer when she asks him about the Aborigines. He's like, oh, it's everybody's. All, no one owns the land. Yeah. Yeah, they did own the land. <laughs> Somebody before does. you got here, you idiot. <laughs> right. Before like, the, It's casually. Before England dropped all their yeah. prisoners here. Yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah, owned so, the land. <laughs> Get off my land, you piece of shit. <laughs> When she first yeah. gets there into the bar, yeah. right, and they have Donk showing, he's like, oh, he's never spilled a drop. He's holding the beer with his hand. <laughs> it's not like he's balancing the beer on top of his head and then gets hit. That would be impressive. But the fact that he's holding the yeah. beer on top of his head, well, where's the impressive part? <laughs> I don't understand why they're like, oh, yeah, this is a good bit of fun. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to be enjoying this famous Foster's. 
Try it next time you're having a beer. That guy calls him out. He's like, we all know you're just a bloody poacher, mate. And yeah. he just knocks the guy out. Yeah. He's like, sorry, I don't like him using that language. And she's like, oh, did he say you were a poacher? And I thought he was just going to knock her out too. <laughs> Immediately. I like, said, don't say that bloody word. I don't like that word. Meanwhile, isn't that the same guy that's hunting the kangaroos later? Yes. How did he get so far into the outback? They had to... Take a whole journey out there. Well, they walked. He How had did, a Jeep or something, right? Like I guess. It just feels like he shows up in the place it took them much longer to get to. And and Mick seems not to give a shit that oh, they're killing kangaroos. He doesn't at all. He doesn't at no. all. <laughs> and she again, she gets moralistic with him. She's like, Oh, now I care about morals. Yeah, and again. he's like, Ugh, Ugh, I guess I'll do all something. Right. I do love he uses the body of the thing, which, first of all, I thought it, he was like in the skin of yeah, that thing. So did I. When I was a kid, I, that's kind of how I remembered the scene. And then I saw it this time around and I was like, wait. I just love the thing. Like, the kangaroo's got a gun. Yeah. Like, why would the kangaroo have a gun? And he doesn't have like opposable Scott, thumbs. Scott, how the music it? swells in an emotional way as the kangaroo starts to shoot at the poachers. <laughs> it's, they don't even play it as a comedic moment, they yeah. play it almost as a dramatic. The kangaroo's finally getting his. Come up against these poachers. <laughs> the kangaroo's been pushed too far this time. And I said to myself, well, the poachers are going to leave saying, oh, shit, we can't kangaroos anymore. They're, they're bloody armed now. They're yeah. coming after us now. Yeah. They've learned how to shoot. Oh, shit, they've evolved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and speaking of the animals, Scott, when they're heading out to the bush, and Mick does his finger technique. On, on that, like, musk ox or the <laughs> yeah. buffalo or whatever. Hasn't he created even bigger problems? Yes. The thing would have just moved. He's now knocked him unconscious in the path. He literally didn't solve the problem. The problem he, he was this thing worse. was in the way, and now it's taking a nap. And you're like, well, now what the fuck do we do, Mick? Oh, I don't know. Run the fucking bloody thing over with, <laughs> with, the, with the car, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I borrow your towel for a sec? My car just hit a water buffalo. All of a sudden, she she's not charmed by him, and she's like, well, I'm going to go off by myself. And then we get the scene. Let me see that thong. First, why is she wearing a bathing suit at all during this hike? Right. I mean, I can understand her wearing a bathing suit. Why that bathing suit? Why is she wearing a thong around a, like a man she doesn't know? Right. And like a rough-hewn guy that she's not really familiar with. Right. I guess it's supposed to be like, she's a modern woman. She doesn't care, and she's, you know, wearing whatever. But it's like... I don't... Scott, don't... No, they're not trying to make her out to be like a sex-positive feminist. They just want to show her ass. They just want to show that's, her that's ass. That's what they wanted to do. And yeah, if you want to like, see some bad acting, look at the close of her dumb face when the croc grabs her thermos around her neck, and she's sh struggling oh, with it. Oh, 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 her face is... Oh, oh. It's terrible. We've just been explained what a death roll is. This crocodile makes no attempt to, to go into the death roll. Yeah. Oh, no. It's she, just yanking, 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 and like she'd be dead and then of course because he saves her life she's like yeah i guess you're right i am just a sheila i can't do shit out here yeah i'm just my, a dumb woman yeah, who my can't... whole you know feminist stance was meaningless you were right right i am woman hear me roll in <laughs> do they fly into newark it's definitely the Newark Airport. Right? It is. There's no doubt about it it had that double escalator yep. thing right yep. yeah the movie then gets to a point scott where like, Mick doesn't understand things he probably should understand. Even things I haven't experienced, by observing them for a second, I feel like I could wrap my brain around them. So when yeah. Mick can't comprehend, like, what an escalator is at the airport, you're like, well, Mick, you know, they look like steps, and they're moving, so what do you think? They're going to suck your fucking body up like right. a fucking piece of paper at the bottom? You could watch one person use them and yeah. go, oh, 
Is it giving a thumbs up? Like, I figured this out. Well, you should have figured it out. <laughs> I didn't die. <laughs> like, I mean, I get that he's been in the bush, but like he did have modern comforts in the bar and stuff. It's right. not like he was not, wasn't part of any society. I, if he was just an Aborigine and he had just come out of the bush and had never seen like other humans besides Aborigines, then it would make sense that you're like, I'm befuddled by yeah, everything. Yeah. Your ways frightened and confused. This isn't the movie Jungle to Jungle, for God's sake. <laughs> right, right. Where you're like, okay, that makes sense. This kid is... Has never seen society before. <laughs> Not that that's a better movie. Meanwhile, but... he's asking a black guy what tribe he comes from. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You're there... lucky that black guy was Carl Winslow. There, yeah, there's otherwise... no situation in which you wouldn't be beaten to a bloody pulp in the 80s in New York if you were like, hey, what tribe are you from? Right. What did you say? <laughs> Motherfucker, what? <laughs> you are about to have a very bad day. So they get to the hotel. The movie acts like every New Yorker has used a bidet and knows. Listen, I'm not sure I know how to use a bidet or what it really does. Yeah. So when Mick can't use it, I'm like, I'm with Mick. I was I, sh shocked I, that New York hotel had, had a, bidet. a bidet. Right. And honestly, good for him. He figures it out pretty quickly. Yeah. But he's like, oh, it's from the ass. Yeah. Like <laughs> you know, when he yells down to the, the crowded New York City street from three stories up and is perfectly audible. Yeah. It can perfectly <laughs> be heard. Right. Out of the window that opens all the way up. None right. of this is real. None of this is true. Perfect for taking good care of your down unders. But hey, mate. So they go to dinner. The waiter goes to put the, the napkin in his lap, and he's like, that, that waiter tried to grab my dick. Like, immediately. He's like, what the hell's going on here? And then he comes back with the menu, and he even, like, he, like, shudders again. Like, don't don't try that shit again. I like, have to assume that it is a big part of Paul Hogan's real-life personality that he is terrified of homosexuals. <laughs> There, Although, he does kiss Dunk early on. Which is strange, right? Because there's like, like a like a weird kind of gay scene where he's scared of gays and doesn't understand gays in practically every film. Yeah. So yeah. even the one that came out in the 2000s yeah. where you were like, it was starting to be a little passe was it, at this was point. It, wasn't Australia a penal colony for the, the biggest part of its existence? They know about gays there. They <laughs> exist there. <laughs> they know about penal law. That's what I'm saying. Later on, Scott, Mick throws the, whatever, the can of tuna fish. What part of living in the outback made him good at throwing cans? <laughs> Those are my next words. Why is having good aim a part of being in the outback? Right. Well, it's one thing if he pulled, like, a boomerang out yeah. and whipped it or something, yeah. or threw a knife at the guy no. or something. Where, when, when are you throwing cans This so guy much? should play for the Yankees. He's got <laughs> perfect aim. <laughs> right, yeah. The streets that are filled with throngs of people three scenes before seem to part for that tuna fish can. To hit the guy, and I mean, knock him unconscious. Yeah. Scott, I'll let you run 50 feet ahead of me. I'll throw a tuna. There's no place I could hit you that would just knock you right down. I, I would allow you to. <laughs> yeah. I would allow you to because I would guarantee you'd come nowhere near me. <laughs> just a bit outside. And then you get to the classic scene. The that's not a knife. This is a knife. It's still a badass scene, in my opinion. It's still pretty good. It's still pretty cool. The guy that's mugging him is wearing like a Michael Jackson thriller jacket. Yeah. Solidly three years after they were ever popular. Yeah. That's the iconic scene of the movie. If you talk about an iconic scene, just kids having fun. So after the big party where she gets proposed to, and Mick's kind of like, oh shit, no reason for me to be here anymore. He gets back in the limo with Reginald Vell Johnson, but he's like, oh, yeah, take me home by way of a liquor store. And he hands him that bottle. And he's like, here, it's medicine. And he takes it out. And there's like 
like an eighth of that <laughs> bottle left. And his waiter would be like, did you drink the rest of this bottle? <laughs> and you're driving? Like, There's like two sips left in what it. What the hell? <laughs> Meanwhile, Mick's been drinking through the entire movie. Yeah. And then you find out Reginald L. Johnson is in the Harlem Warlords. Yeah. <laughs> really? And, and, and can throw a boomerang. Shouldn't Mick be throwing the boomerang? Why are we... What's going on <laughs> Right. Here? The rules of this movie are just way the fuck off. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Nerf boomerang. Boom, boom, boom. Nerf boomerang. Once they get to the subway and it's the emotional climax of the movie, the whole big I love you revelation scene, I lived very close to the 59th Street Station. It's never been that crowded. Yeah. And I mean never. Never. And the 59th Street Station isn't like one platform. It's like seven or eight platforms. It's a major junction. Now, I, I, I'm I not going to lie. I do like when they're, you know, the, the game of telephone where Mick is. Yeah. Because the Jamaican guy's funny. Yeah. You know, all that shit is kind of funny. Yeah. But there's no one in New York that would let you just climb on their heads and walk on their shoulders. And well, cheer while you're doing yeah, it. Well, he's like breaking people's necks and shit. We can see that he's clearly walking on like, uh, like a ledge behind them. In the B-roll shots when he's a foot isn't touching someone's head and they're laughing. Oh, a stranger's 30 foots on my head. <laughs> <laughs> we can see that he's walking on like a shelf behind them. What? Yeah. Which also like, why Why wouldn't they put their hands up? You know, like if they're really trying to help yeah. him, like here, walk on this way so you're right. not stomping on our fucking necks. <laughs> like, oh, my neck, my back, my neck and my back. Oh. Listen, there's the reason they've made a ton of fish out of water films because they work. It's yeah. charming to watch someone out of their element reacting to things. It works. So right. I appreciate his character. But all the shit around it, you're saying to yourself, boy, give him more of a challenge. Have him do a little bit more yeah. than to just somehow befriend everyone and become a local celebrity. Well, I mean, then they certainly give him a challenge in the second movie. And that's Crocodile Dundee 2. Now that's a knife. We open the movie, and he's fishing with dynamite. Okay. I, okay. First of all, the piece of dynamite you threw was extremely close to your boat. <laughs> Second of all, there are no living fish in the Hudson River. <laughs> Third of all, why does that cop just go, oh, Mick. Oh, Mick, you've and got a high-grade explosive with you. The other cops look like they're like, sir, we should really arrest him. Like, he's throwing explosives into the fucking river. I'm going to give you four. Where did he even get the dynamite in the first place? Right. Right. I was waiting for it to be like, Crocodile Dundee 2. Crocodile Dundee goes to jail. TNT! I'm dynamite! TNT! And I will not fight! TNT! I'm a power load! TNT! Watch me explode! A couple of scenes later, they're walking through the mall. And Mick casually breaks the neck of a snake. When's the last time you saw a snake charmer in a mall in Manhattan? Has that ever existed in the history of... Uh, actually, in the first movie, he also breaks a snake's neck. <laughs> Is it that easy? Do snakes have necks? <laughs> I mean, I guess they're nothing but neck, but... <laughs> My anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. He's talking to uh, Leroy Brown, who is played by, uh, I don't remember the actor's name. Charles S. Dutton. Yes, thank you. I always remember him as Rock from yeah. the show Rock, the show Rock on yeah. Fox. Also, Rudy. Yes, yes, Plays of course. Fortune in the movie Rudy. I, I mean, he's in a ton of shit, but I really thought it was going to be like, the rest of this movie was Nick joins like a gang. Black it's kind of funny where he like, takes him outside and he's like, stationary. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, pens and shit. That's yeah. kind of funny. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. Since you mentioned um, Charles S. Dutton, we got to knock down a couple of trilogy superstars in this one because we yes. got a lot of big names in this one. This is Stephen Root's film debut. Yeah. All right. And we talked about him, of course, being in Robocop, being Robocop a trilogy 3. superstar. But he's famous, of course, from like Office Space and of course. Dodgeball, tons of great Many stuff. Many Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Yeah. Susie Essman from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Plays the tour guide. Tour guide. And remember, she was in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well. It's a trilogy superstar. That's right. I I'll mention while we're talking about people, he's not a trilogy superstar, but I do want to point out the DEA guy who assigns her ex-husband photographer to go to Columbia or whatever is the actor who plays Wyndham Earl on Twin Peaks, who is a bad guy. He's the like arch nemesis of the main okay. character okay. later in the second season. Wyndham Earl's mind is like a diamond. It's cold and hard and brilliant. You don't know what he's capable of, Harry. You don't know. I have to mention, though, there's the scene with the mailman where he gets the, the, the letter with the photos and all stuff. Right. And, and the mailman tries his it's, mediocre uh, Richard Nixon impersonation it's, on it's, him. It's so mediocre. It's fine, <laughs> I guess. I literally just wrote, hope that's the last scene with that mailman. <laughs> and thank God it was. We never saw him again. Dated 25-year-old impression that no one's interested anymore. He used to be the president. Yeah. Of your country? <laughs> Why the fuck do I care like, about No Richard one's Nixon? doing that impression in 1990. No one cares. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Want to hear my Ed Sullivan impression? No. <laughs> really big shoe. Okay, <laughs> great. I don't know who that is either. We have to move. But what I love to do on stage is I like to do my impression of, what's his name, Nixon? I am not. I like to do that. <laughs> I'm that, that's, that's, so, this is the worst Nixon impression I've ever seen. <laughs> what the hell was that? We meet these movie Colombians, and make no mistake about it, they're movie Colombian. <laughs> She's like, parasite, drug dealer. This is the 80s where the worst possible thing you can be is a drug dealer. Yeah. You're just a parasitic <laughs> drug dealer. <laughs> Dirty, swarthy, no good. Like, oh, all right, calm down. I bet your hair is combed straight back and into a ponytail, you <laughs> typical shit. drug dealer that I've seen in every movie. He was like, well, we'll call Mick and pray he has some brains. And I was like, oh boy, you are fucked. Sets up that strange subway tussle where, where like the guy is going to get the letter from him on the subway yeah it was very confusing like oh she's coming on the next train oops i guess she missed her stuff what's your game here guy like what <laughs> did they ever give tours of the subway i thought of that too why would you be like it here is the subway that you've what? already used to get around many times because it's our main form of transportation the asians are involved and they're taking photos scott what was the other trilogy we watched where we we made light of the fact that they, they used this stereotype where Asians are taking pictures of things. Oh, it's so many movies. But like, I feel I, like there was one we did early in one of our first trilogies. I feel like it was the top of a double-decker bus. Didn't I tell you to wait for me? Huh? What the hell are you doing on this bus? Oh. All right. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Take a picture. It's okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We get to... Bad, bad Leroy Brown. The fact that Mick needs that whole gang as a diversion yeah. to get into the compound. Leroy brings him in there and he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, these guys know me here. So, you know, be cool, be cool. And I was waiting for the return to go, hey, it's the guy who delivers our paper supplies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, 
you're not cool, they're not cool, no one's cool. You don't have to be cool. No one in this scene is cool, okay? For God's sake, bad, bad Leroy Brown is driving a purple Studebaker. What's cool about any of this? That has been graffitied to hell. Yeah, and no one, it's, there's there's just an overabundance of graffiti in this movie where you're like, I I understand, yes, there's graffiti in New York, but Jesus Christ, not that much. The iconic scene that they showed in all the commercials was uh, in the bar when he throws the knife through the guy's mohawk. Which I was waiting for, like, blood to just start trickling down like that's not his hair his head is shaped that way (laughs) you cut it too close just nailed that guy (laughs) he goes out to long island looks at the compound they drive back to new york to get the gang right then they all head back out to long island why are you wasting so much time her (laughs) life is at risk you've been driving for like three hours they get to the compound, and the distraction is all of them howling like dogs? Howling and throwing garbage I seems to be the extent of it. I'm not sure it was worth it. Howling, throwing garbage, and Colin Quinn showing Colin up out of Quinn nowhere. in a tuxedo. Yeah. Hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> what the fuck? But, but like, are they, is there anyone else in a tuxedo who walks up, or just Colin Quinn in a tuxedo? I don't think anyone else. It's not like, oh, you disturbed the wedding nearby, and he came by. No, Colin Quinn just shows up in a tuxedo and goes, what's going on over here? Yeah, and then is in none yeah. of the rest of the movie. It becomes a party. Suddenly, everyone in the in the bar, I guess, has followed this this gang yeah. into to Long Island. They saw this convoy of, ga- of gang members going somewhere, and they're like, well, fuck it. I got nothing else to do yeah. tonight. <laughs> and the Colombians, they're so slow on the uptake. They're like, it is just a bunch of kids. But then it seems like like Mick could have just gone, hopped the fence, and done all that because none of them are looking at the right, cameras at right. any point until they see the gang members. Yeah. When they flee to Australia where they're on Mick's turf, the first thing that popped in my head is, why haven't the police arrested these Colombians at this point? They they have the photo They now. have the photo. Why haven't they arrested them? What What's the problem here? Why are they trying to kill her? Tonight on America's Dumbest Criminals. Then there's this weird bit where Mick tells her to take her bra off and hangs it, and the men just get distracted by a bra in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, typical men always getting distracted by undergarments in the middle of nowhere, like, (laughs) what? It's totally inappropriate. It's lewd, lascivious, salacious, outrageous. Scott, talking about the different little ways that Mick picks off each of the Colombians. Yes. You got to laugh about the whole bat thing because he unleashes the bats on all of them while they're around the campfire. And then the bad guys start kind of shooting at the bats and the bats all flee like, oh, my God, he's got a gun. We've got to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. He's back in heat. You didn't say anything about a bat. What's the difference? What's the difference? Have you ever seen a bat? They're hideous. Lifeless, beady eyes, clawed feet, huge, grotesque wings. Is Mick just trying to convince them that he's a sorcerer this entire time? Yeah, suddenly he's a magical character? Yeah. That's never been... And the thing, he runs out and throws a snake at that guy, and you're like, why was that scene included at all? He moved like lightning and, uh, like... What? No, he just ran through the, the camp. You guys were sleeping. Yeah. And he ran through the camp and threw a snake at you. We, we saw it. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. He fakes that that Wally gets eaten by this crocodile. Yeah. That you never see. 
You never see the crocodile. You just see him get pulled under, and they're like, oh, shit. Oh, God. And they go, and then he's wearing the skin of the crocodile. I'm like, we never even saw the crocodile. Why are you wearing its skin? <laughs> you could have just swam under and pulled him under. Yeah, and just ripped a piece of the hat out and been like, there's this fucking hat. <laughs> right. Like The croc took a bite out of his hat. It's <laughs> like, no, but you had to stop, kill a crocodile, and then climb inside its skin. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. Climb inside its bloody skin. Right. I've got you. Under my skin. I read Fuck. nothing about Aborigines being up in arms about how they're portrayed in these films, and I suppose they're 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 portrayed respectfully in the first one, and that it shows their their culture. They're doing the dance thing, right. this and that. But in this second movie, I, I mean, it seems like the joke is not really on them; it's more on other people misunderstanding the, the perception them. of them. So yeah. okay, I can appreciate that. They have their traditions and their culture, obviously, but but you know yeah. they're not fucking aliens. Yeah, so they know what society is. And they, they're a member of it. I guess so. <laughs> but you know who's not a member of it? Mick. He's no. not a member of no. it. No. So. And now we move along to Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. You have a knife, but mine's bigger. That's not the law. That's it. That's not the law. Why does this movie look like it's more low budget than the first two? It looked like a, a fucking Disney Channel movie or something. Yeah. Like, it really felt like a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. You're right. Oh, we got a couple of trilogy superstars in this film. Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. Yes. Um, but he's also, you know, he's a well-known hitman from Beverly Hills Cop. I, the second I saw him, I was like, oh, I'm so glad to see he's playing a part that I've never seen him play, like a kind of a funny Greek guy. I'm like, oh no, he's the bad guy. Okay. All and right. it really, it sounds like Michael Scott doing his Greek character on that episode. He's like, <laughs> Necropolis, my love. It's really what it sounds <laughs> yeah. like. No, again, no, like so much of this movie, no effort put into it at all. Yeah. They're like, and you have an accent. And he's like, I'll just do the first thing that I think of. The moral of the story is I chose a half measure. When I should have gone all the way. He's talking to Jocko. They're walking back together after they've fallen off of this branch and had to swim away from this gator. And he turns and Mick is just gone. And he's like, I hate it when he does that. And I'm like, we've literally never seen him do that before. Like, why are we making this like this is a thing that Crocodile Dundee does that he just disappears? He's not fucking Batman. He doesn't just disappear from conversation. It's funny because when I saw that, I'm like, well, what did he really do? What did he just kind of run into the woods real fast? <laughs> right. Like, what, what was his, what's the real skill there? Right. Did he dive down into the weeds just to fuck with his friend? When it, what when did he really do? It, it, when it happens in like the Dark Knight trilogy and Batman does it, you assume he jumped off the building or yeah. he like grappling hooked and away. flew away real fast. <laughs> right. This is just a guy walking through the woods. I hate it when he makes me look like an asshole. Yeah, you are an asshole. You always look like an asshole, Jacko. <laughs> Harvey Dent. Can he be trusted? Well, he seems to be about the best that we've been... What was that? What, are you sinking away? No. Is this your little vanishing routine? What? Is this the part where I turn and then I turn back and all of a sudden you're gone? No. So, under the flimsiest of pretenses, they go to L.A. Yeah. The movie has a bit of a meta aspect to it in that they're talking about... A, a fictional trilogy called Lethal Agent. Yeah. And they're kind of making fun of the fact that it's a sequel. It's like, oh, I can't believe they keep making more of these. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we know you're talking about yourself, and it's not funny. It's sad. We hate it. <laughs> it's upsetting me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I'm watching it. And this is this is like a classic trilogy thing we see, right? Of like, they tried to do something different with the second movie and make it sort of an action movie. And now they're back to, it's a comedy and it's a fish out of water story uh -huh. again. And the whole overriding premise here is that Mick has seen a lot of TV, so he now fancies himself to be a detective because he's watching NYPD. P.D. Blue. How lazy was this screenplay? Yeah, it's nothing. I, I know. It's nothing. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. We get to another party where people are entranced by Mick's lack of knowledge of 
everything. Yeah. George Hamilton is there. Trilogy superstar. Godfather Part 3. Happy Hooker. Yeah. Introduces him to coffee colonics. Wonderful scene, George. <laughs> Which I think the best line of that is he's like, he's like, but coffee? And he's like, yeah. He's like, cream and sugar? Oh, uh, um, how do you uh, take it? Lots of cream, lots of sugar. You got the guy who plays the studio head. He's actually also in Breaking Bad. Jer Burns. He plays uh, Jesse's counselor. He's got that scene with Mick's wife where he's getting a massage. Yeah. And then he like puts the robe on, drops the towel, and they make a point of showing that to you too. And I was waiting for him, like, now, would you like to watch me jerk off into this potted <laughs> plant? Like, looks into the full length mirror and says, I'm good. You've revealed no information in this scene. Nothing. We don't. God, we still. Good. We have no idea what's happening. You invited here. her to write an article yeah. about something. How does that make you good? Yeah. Yo. Yo. You're good, you. Nah, nah. You're good. You're better than it's good. It's just the beginning, Paul. You're real good. Paramount, who made all three of these movies, they got a lot of nerve with their cheap ass shit. That they're fucking using their very their their own backlot and their own tour as a major set piece. Yeah. You know, like c- come on. Where he's slashing a, a electrical anaconda during the tour and no one seems to give a shit. Yeah. Hey, get back here. Get back here. That's a hundred thousand dollars, that special effect. Yeah. This walks off the tour and they're like, oh, well, Mick, it's Mick's at it again. <laughs> what? Like, oh, and the tour guy's like, cool. I'm like, not cool. Not cool. You're gonna get fucking fired for that. I, I actually suspect at one point they show uh, it's supposed to be like, welcome to Beverly Hills, and they're walking through Beverly Hills. That's a back lot too, and I'm pretty sure it's like Warner Brothers back yeah. lot, and that they just must have Again, like, can we use your back lot for a meta. day? Like, Jared Burns is like, we're making this film for practically nothing. They're acknowledging that they're spending no money on the right, movie. They, right. they basically are. Yeah. Paramount is pleased to bring you our feature presentation. You know what I hated about this movie, though? What animal do I hate the most? Monkeys? That's right. And there, there was a, a monkey played a main part in this movie. Yes. And Mick knew how to train the fucking chimp, for he God's did. sake. And also product placement of Pepsi there. The Big time. <laughs> They're like, even a chimpanzee likes Pepsi. Yeah. Should, does that mean I should drink it? Oh, great. <laughs> A dirty animal likes it. I should probably drink it, too. I should run out and get some Pepsi. Yeah, I don't think that's good product (laughs) placement. I think that's terrible. Watch this. Watch this. Kiki, get me a drink. Make it the diet one. We meet Trilogy Superstar Mike Tyson. Who knew? I don't think we mentioned it when we did the Hangover films. Well, who's ever seen this movie before? Why did I look up Mike Tyson's filmography and realize he was also in this? (laughs) You know, this is. I'll tell you why he didn't. Well, he didn't expect him to be in any other movie. Right. <laughs> this is pre-face tattoo. Yes. And you know what? Just this is post ear eating, though, right? Yes. But just like the Hangover trilogy, he doesn't really know how to talk. <laughs> the whole gag is that he's like, "Yeah, I do all this this meditation, and it makes me, you know, it makes really calms me down." And like, yeah, okay, we get it. You're not known for being calm. You can't touch me. You're not man enough. I eat your asshole alive, you bitch. When his friend rolls in as a nanny, you know, the other yep. Australian. Jocko. We get a very long scene where they're. They're amazed by fast food. Good lord. Come on. How cheap is that target? You know that when you pull around to the window, they can see how many people are in the car, though, right? Right. There's this gag of like, oh, we're here with Stan and Harry, and oh, no, here comes Joey. You think the fast food people don't realize the fat fucks that roll up and get five fucking cheeseburgers? They don't give a fuck. Yeah. They see these people every day. Of course. (laughs) 
It's so ridiculous. When I was like, in high school, I'd get four cheeseburgers. <laughs> right. What difference does it make? Yeah. They're probably, they assume you're a car full of stoners yes. or something. They don't give a shit. <laughs> Can you give me just four nuggets? I'm, I'm trying to... Shut up and listen to my order. Take the six nuggets and throw two of them away. I'm just wanting a four nugget thing. I'm trying to watch my calorie intake. Put two of them up your ass and give me four chicken McNuggets. What period is this movie that they're filming taking place in? They're in Germany. The guy's wearing the fucking hat with the feather in it and yeah. the lederhosen, and they're all wearing like what looks like Nazi Germany. And then the two of them, him and fucking Paul Rodriguez, are dressed like goddamn construction workers from modern day. Yeah, it's strange. And then later, they're in the thing, and they're in a hall with a monkey, and like, what the fuck is <laughs> happening in this movie? Isn't this Lethal Agent 4? Like, what, what is this? Also, they mention the monkey is above the title. So this movie is... Kiki the monkey in Lethal Agent 3. What? <laughs> what do you mean? He demands that you leave the trailer before he comes to set. He has to be the last person on set. And I was saying earlier, that ever since he saw Planet of the Apes, he's changed. So Mick figures out the issue with the paintings immediately. There's no yes. investigation. I feel like that whole climax where Mick is is running around with the painting and they're chasing him. It felt like Pee-wee's Big Adventure where yes. he's running from yes. one movie set to another. Except that Pee-wee's Big Adventure it was more realistic yeah, of a film yeah, set exactly. than that. Like, and he keeps going through the set doors. <laughs> Run around it. They're set walls. Yeah. And not only that, the other guy chasing him does the exact same thing. Yeah. Like, also, he goes through the, the film that's like Tornado Hunters 2 or whatever. Yeah. And he's flipping all the switches to turn the fan on and right. you have him blow. There's like a blizzard switch. There's a rain switch. And then there's just a paper switch. And it's just little scraps of paper being thrown. I'm like... <laughs> What in what point of the tornado would you need tiny little shreds of like it just like it tore apart an office max? <laughs> so they go they they go through the place where his him and his son were on the tour earlier where he stabs the fake snake in that jungle yep. landscape and he's like he's he's gone in there. There's only one way in and out of there. How is that possible? Earlier, a tram drove in there. What did the tram back up out of that fucking place? There has to be an exit that the tram went out of. There's no studio set where there's one entrance in and one no. entrance out. Besides the fact that he could climb over one of those walls. They're clearly like Jurassic Parky looking walls yeah, that you yeah. just hop over. What the fuck are you talking about? We can see that's wrong. You've proven that's not true. <laughs> Hot dog! There's no way out, except the way we came in. We got him now! At the end, he's like, you know, there was only one time I was scared, and that's when he had a gun held to your head. You know, I've had a gun held to my head many times in the other movies, and you you were never scared then? <laughs> that didn't make I you want to marry me then? The whole other movie, I had been kidnapped by drug dealers, and they were threatening to murder me. They tried to assassinate me with a sniper rifle also, in my own apartment. Also, my, your best friend Walter had a gun to his head in that movie, and you right. didn't seem to care at all. Yeah, you didn't want to marry him. Yeah, so <laughs> fuck off, Mick. And so naturally, they slap on a wedding at the end. Right. I like how the croc catches the bouquet. My favorite part of this movie was that one-minute wedding scene at the end. 
Croc catches the bouquet and then land that under plays. Yeah. Because who else would catch the bouquet? With that brutal freeze frame. The worst freeze frame of all three of these movies. Always with the freeze frame. Just let them take the jacket fully off before you freeze frame. Why they're like in between and this old man is trying to shuffle a jacket (laughs) off of himself. Like, what a terrible freeze frame. You call that a knife? This is a knife. That's not a knife. That's a spoon. All right. All right. You win. (laughs) I see you've played knifey spoony before. I'm out of breath, Scott. I'm out of breath. And when I get out of breath and I get upset, there's only one man that can bring me back to the reality that I need to be in. Who's that? Well, that's our field correspondent, Phil. Good old wallaby Phil. Yeah, bringing us once again an entrancing, an educational view of the outside world. So let's just throw it to Phil. Phil? Hey, folks. Phil here, your field correspondent for the Trilogy Podcast, reporting from Central Park. In honor of the Crocodile Dundee trilogy, I thought it might be fun to learn how to throw a boomerang. I've watched a few YouTube videos, and it looks like it's pretty easy, so let's give it a go, mate! (laughs) Alright. Airfoil facing me. Okay, two-finger grip. Throw it into the breeze! Wow! Look at it go! That was a pretty good throw. I think I might be good at this. Huh. I did a lot of research on how to throw it, but I never really did learn how to catch it. Well, how hard could it be? <laughs> okay, here it comes. Oh! 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 Oh, my eye! Ah, it's lodged in my fucking eye! Jesus Christ! I think it pierced my brain. Oh! Oh, well, that's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood in my, coming into my mouth. That's a lot of, oh, that's a lot of blood. Okay, I think I'm blacking out. I think, okay. I'm so glad that Phil got to experience that firsthand. He's really lucky. All right, Scott, um, I'll go first this time since you've gone first the last couple. And this is a a trickier one for me because whereas the first Crocodile Dundee for me is obviously the best, I'm not sure which one I hated more, two or three. Something like two that was aggressively bad or three that was truly nothing. Right. And I think in this case, I'm going to have to go... Unsuccessful, of course, because only the first movie was even close to being a good film. Right. Um, One, two, three. Mm. Because much as I hated the second film, the third film felt like no effort was being put forth at all. Mm. So yeah, I'm ashamed to say it, but a little piece of my childhood died. A movie I used to love when I was 10 years old is dead. Yeah. And this is unsuccessful. One, two, three. How do you think I felt when we did Free Willy? Yeah, so... uh... You're right. Uh, obviously, one's going to be at the top for me. But I think I'm definitely unsuccessful. But I think I'm going to have to go a one, three, two. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because, like I said, I, I think the third movie returns to the roots of the first one of the fish out of water story. Okay. Um, and the third one, the stakes are so low. And it, the movie knows it's a piece of shit. Like, it knows <laughs> that it's nothing. It knows that it's just there to be silly and fun and maybe, like, more family-friendly than so any of the other. So the idea that it doesn't try and take itself seriously kind of takes some of the heat off of it, some right. of the expectation away. And I did find myself chuckling, and but most of the time I was laughing at the movie for being so stupid, but I think that was what they were going for in the third one. Like, they were like, yeah, isn't this dumb? Yeah, you know, that's kind of how I felt about the Bad News Bears, where right. I like three more than two because... Because it was so fucking out there and so like... Right. And they knew, they're like, as a cash grab, we don't care. Yeah, like, yeah okay. Whereas the second one tried to be so serious with the plot and yep. really try to build Crocodile Dundee 
as this important, like they thought he was going to be like Bond or something or Rambo, like that. Or Rambo. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think I got to say one, three, two, just because the third one at the end of it, like you said, the wedding scene at the end, I was like, yeah, it was kind of cute at the ends. And uh, I don't know. Uh, All right. You know, I could really go either way, but I'm going to say one, three, two. All right. I respect that opinion. Very close one for me. Good, good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Crocodile Dundee Think it was a little less serious than our Godfather episodes, the last couple of episodes. Wanted to lighten things up a little bit. Slightly less, yeah. As we said before, it is Australia Month, Scott. Uh, sure. It is close to Australia Month. Close enough. Australia Spring. Yes. The... That's okay. Let's go with that. Spring has sprung, much like a kangaroo would spring. Very good, uh-huh. my friend. Very good. I brought it all back around. I am Vin. And I'm Scott. And we are the Trilogy Podcast. Keep an eye on what we do on social media. As always, I am dropping at least one to two Instagram posts a day, and I try and mirror exactly what we talk about on this podcast. So I try and give you a visual representation of our conversation, of our jokes, and I think it really successfully does that. Trilogy Podcast where you're going to go at and it's funny stuff check it out and uh, I run the Twitter uh, so we do we do some fun polls about the episode we ask what your favorite one of the three is and a bunch of other silly nonsense so check that out too and we want to hear your opinion there and that is also at Trilogy Podcast Scott why don't you give me a few more little Dundeeisms as we as we leave here today. Oh well, what's the John Dory there? Eh? I mean, <laughs> well, I gotta use the Dunny. Eh? Oh, it's so different than the way we talk. One more. Uh, oh, two right. I mean, it, that's Bonza for you, mate. <laughs> oh, put a shrimp on the barbie. All right, that's uh, a, enough already. Uh, put it in my butt. I, I, no, that's not. Oh, I've had enough. Sorry, I'm I've sorry. I've had enough. I'm sorry. Sorry.